the final Her Story Speaks podcast episode of 2021. I'm your host, Andrea, and for today's episode, I'm joined by author, teacher, psychotherapist, and a mother of four, Dr. Christy Ballman. Christy is a woman who is committed to helping women come into their true voice, and her work focuses on the female body, sexuality, and theology. In this episode, we talk about our collective stories as women as we partner with God as creators, carrying both hope and loss in our bodies. Christy shares her own story of carrying both life and death, hope and loss in her own womb. And we talk about the importance of women coming together in sisterhood to share our stories. We also talk about manger theology and the real unwhitewashed story of Mary, what her body actually went through when she birthed the savior of the world. Whether your story includes losing a child, infertility, miscarriage, healthy pregnancies, or choosing not to bear children at all, I promise you this episode is for you. As Christy says, the story of the uterus is so much bigger than bearing children or not. As women, we birth thoughts, we birth love, we birth organizations, we birth revolutions, and we birth movements. Listen in as Christy shares her story. As we were just chatting, this was not on either of our radars last week to record this conversation, but you so graciously answered my message about just discovering your book and your story and it just being so impactful as we are approaching Christmas and thinking about Mary and you said yes to me and to coming on. So I'm just really grateful to be able to talk to you today. And I know my audience is just going to just really just have it just be able to have such a rich conversation to listen to. So thank you. Yeah, of course. I feel like when you reached out, I thought Advent is such a really pregnant time for women. Mm -hmm. Like it is just so full and it's ready to burst over. And so I think I don't want to miss the window. And it, it just felt really right when you were saying that. And I just finished a piece about Advent that's coming out this week. And I was, I was, so taken when you asked, and I was like, I have to do this. I have to do this because women right now are being invited to speak. Mm -hmm. And even just, you know, seeing your podcast name, I was like, yes, this is my work. This is what I'm committed to is women coming and speaking. And that I would even say right now in our church here, my pastor observes Advent um, as a time when men are not allowed to teach because Zechariah was muted for not believing that John the Baptist was coming when Elizabeth was pregnant. And so mm -hmm. he believes that this is the season where women are only supposed to be teaching us to understand Advent. And We've practiced that for a couple of years now in our church. And so it's made such a rich time for women to get together and talk about whether it's years of reproduction or infertility or loss and all the things that invite us into understanding the gospel and understanding waiting and longing in Advent. So I love speaking during mm -hmm. Advent for many reasons. I, I have chills just in what you, all that you just said. I mean, just knowing, as I mentioned from my own story of coming from the Bible Belt, where women could not preach or teach in church. And a lot of my own faith deconstruction started with that. But just the fact that your pastor does that is so, so huge. And that just, it gives me such hope for where some churches are and where women do have a place, a big place in the story. Um, yes, I will also, I will also just tell you, I am super emotional today because of reading your books. Like they're just, yeah. 
You know, I know when I messaged you last weekend, I thought, oh, this is just going to be such a hope-filled, feel-good story. And then I got into all of your story and just the season just brings so much. And I think you know that. And I think if we really feel it, we do. And those of us that have experienced grief or loss and women with our wombs and our stories, all of us have. And I just think the heaviness, we feel it now. So we'll, we'll talk about all of that today. So I'm sorry if it's going to be more of a downer than I thought it was, but I think, <laughs> I think that's as women. And I'm sure you feel that too, just knowing the heaviness of some parts of your story. That's where, right. gosh, we get the hope and strength to keep going when we hear yeah. women talk about it and knowing that we're not alone. So yes. Just, yes. And I, I, I think it's a good, you know, in a sense, um, uh, alert for listeners of like, yes, this is hard information. I would also say that it's really helpful, I think, to the, particularly to the female body, the end of the year, as we grow, you know, towards winter solstice and the shortest day and darkness seems to grow. And we are invited to light more candles and light our Christmas trees and light up our houses because the end of the year is being birthed into its death in a sense. And so as things grow darker, we have to light up something, mm-hmm. light a candle. And 10 years ago, when I lost my son, Brave, at stillbirth, you know, we didn't realize when we lit a lantern on his birth, um, December 9th and well, December 8th, but we light candles then. And we came together as a community and we lit lanterns for mm-hmm. um, the darkest day for me, the darkest day for our church, in a sense, in our community. And to me, that practice, 10 years of it has made me realize like when we come into Advent, we're going into a season of darkness and we are desperate for the light of each other to remind us that we're going to make it to the end mm, okay. and we're going to birth not, a new you're year. Not, you're not helping my teariness. And this is not starting like any of my podcasts do because I have you like start with your story and I'm like, just dove right in. But yeah. I think what you just said really hit me because, um, and part of my heaviness this time of year is my dad passed to yeah. like shortly after Christmas, two years ago. Hmm. And just remembering though, last year was the first year, you know, we honored his passing and it'll be two years this January. And it's like, we did light a lantern and let them go. And if I, at that time, it didn't really dawn on me till you just said that like it is, it's a dark time and, yeah. but we're birthing light and birthing something yeah. new. So that's just really, that's really powerful. Thank you for that. Yeah, of course. Mm. And I, I do think as much as the grief is there being silent about it and letting it just staying our bodies and not giving voice to it and not letting it come out of us is actually a deeper loneliness than we were meant to bear. And I, that's, I, I believe that truly like whether we're talking about manger theology or womb theology, which are the things I research and study and have talked about mostly in, in my research, it's that the female body feels so much and her best self is when she is able to speak, when she is able to bring forth what's happening inside of her. And I believe that's the knowing of God. I believe that's the study of God through our womb, through the life, death, life cycle. And I mean, I run away with this stuff. So like I can get ahead of myself, but I would just say there's something that as you have grieved even your father's death, like it, it matters to light a candle. It matters mm-hmm. to light up hope and remember that this is not the end, that 
after the death cycle, life comes again. And mm-hmm. isn't that the hope of all of us as believers? Yes. Yes. Um, but we, but we have to walk through the death and, and yeah. a lot of us want to shy away from it. And we want to be all resurrection and no crucifixion. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's not, it's not part of it. Or we want to be all baby Jesus being born, but we don't mm-hmm. want to talk about the breaking of Mary's body and the bleeding mm-hmm. of it and the mm-hmm. traversing big and, and tired and swollen. We, and, and the fear that, that maybe I won't have a live baby at the end of this. We don't want to talk about that as believers right. because I think we're fragile. And I, I, I think our faith is fragile quite mm-hmm. frankly. And mm-hmm. I really believe God is inviting us into a deeper understanding of his love. I have to stop you now because I, I, I want to like ask you so much about what you just said, but I have to backtrack and let you have a formal, tell us who you are. Cause my yes. listeners are like, who is this person? Maybe they're not, maybe they know of you and your book, your book is called theology of the womb, knowing God through the body of a woman. And it released in 2019, you have another book called the brave lament for those who know death. And that is just, that's when I was finishing this morning that, um, mm-hmm. yeah, had part of the reason for my weepiness. Yeah. You are such a vulnerable, brave writer. So thank you. Thank you for yeah. that. So tell us yeah. Christy, where you are today, what your day-to-day life looks like, what you do. I know that, but just kind of a brief overview for my listeners before we dive in a little deeper to what we just foreshadowed or really what we're going to talk about. For sure. So I am therapist by trade. I see women and my husband and I see couples for marriage intensives. So we work through, you know, basically again, this life, death, life cycle. So wherever a marriage is, we usually see marriages that are in pretty bad shape, needing care or needing to bury something to regrow something anew. I also work with women around sexual health and trauma. And so most of my research is in Christian women's sexual health because we are so far behind in that work. And in that process, I have had children and also lost children and miscarried. And that story brought me into a deeper understanding of sexuality and a deeper requirement from the female body to actually be honest about what God was doing when we were created as sexual beings. So that was the spurring on of my research. And that's what I do. I'm a therapist and I'm an author. And I work a lot in that intensive setting of sexual health. And a lot of that is grief work. And you wouldn't believe that grief is a part of sex. We're not taught that. And yet it really is if we follow the body. So I just study through like the female menstruation and her, um, you know, I mean, I can get really nerdy right now. And so I'm going to try not to, but basically, you don't have to, don't try not to. I love it. (laughs) Okay. So, so lifespan psychology follows the female womb as the way of understanding how our lives are going to go. And we are going to start off. And as we get to adolescent, we'll start being growing up and we'll have gains in our lives, right? We'll, we'll grow bigger. Um, we will create more, we're at more birthday parties. So, I mean, there's things happening. And then we go into the reproduction stage as the female and we, we sort of, you know, plateau or it's the top of our bell curve. And then we come down in climacteric and menopause and we start to senesce or go to our death. And so we watch and we have loss more, our losses increase, but female well-being is by marking. So if we look at a woman, she will say that she was grateful for her life. And she would say, I lived a good life 
based on how I marked my gains and my losses. Mm. So you would think as a, as a woman goes into menopause, as her sexual drive lessons, you would think that would almost be a, a downer. Like that's not a great time, yeah. but really women start to create some of their most holy work in that season. Mm. And I, um, and it's based on how we've marked, we, if we know gain, if we know um, the birth of life, if we know creating a business, if we know creating a family, creating a relationship, then when we lose it, even though it's a heaviness, we know how to mark it. And that marking gives us a sense of well-being with our life. Like, well done, my good and faithful servant. Mm. You were faithful to bury as you were faithful to birth. And I'm not talking about just physical birth. So women who have not physically birthed, this is not what I mean. The story of the uterus is bigger than that. It, mm. it is the idea that we birth thoughts, we birth ideas, we birth love, um, we birth organizations, movements, revolutions. And it's, it's that. I'm it's so that. glad you said that because that I had mentioned this book to, to a friend and she said, well, I'm not reading that because of my struggle with infertility. Like I just, I'm like, no, it's different. It's more than that. And as I was reading your book, I thought before I was finished, how women that have dealt with infertility or miscarriage after miscarriage and never having the babies yeah. alive on this earth, how they are going to handle this. So I want to say this episode and your book is even for those that have never been able to bear children or that have had miscarriages after miscarriages or whose birth stories are of trauma or that have been sexually abused. Like it is so, and like you said, our wombs and our sexuality is so much more than just birthing children. So I'm glad you said that part of it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I would even say a brave lament. We have um, a documentary film and then we have the book and the film is free online. You literally just have to, you know, Google a brave lament.com and you can watch the film. It's 40 minutes and it, okay. it's, it's a resource for those who have endured grief and people will say, you know, I, I lost my sibling in the last year I lost. And I thought this would be a, a film about grieving a baby. And it is, but it's more than that. It's a film about understanding what we're supposed to do in response to death and how to have integrity when we bury whatever it is we're burying mm -hmm. and it will take us to our core and we need each other around us. And there's something actually life-giving in that. And I don't know how to explain it, but there's almost this, uh, this unseen spirit that moves yeah. through and moves through grief as we continue to live when it, with, and we, we bury and then we continue to create. And I, I think you're right that, you know, I am not a woman who has had infertility. I'm a woman who's had a stillbirth. I had two live healthy children. I had two miscarriages and then I had one live child, healthy child. So in, in my story, you know, I'm three for three in, in that sense. I can't speak to the woman who's never known what it is to bear a child in her womb and wants to. I can't, I can't speak to that, but I can speak to the hollowness you feel when, when you can't produce something alive, mm -hmm. I can speak mm -hmm. to the deep depression and anxiety and sorrow that I had to come to 
after I had to bury, um, you know, and I, I tell stories yeah. about that in the book. Um, Would you mind just sharing a little bit about your story with that part of your story with it, it is one of the most heart wrenching stories that yeah. I've ever read. And I'm also curious, is that the part of your story that really made you think deeply about this whole womb theology? Or even before that, had you already known the significance and really been digesting and chewing on that? Right. So I think prior to having kids or even getting married, I didn't get married till later, a little bit later in life. And it was because I really, I was a a pretty, I am a pretty sporadic, like um, fiery woman. I don't, Mm -hmm. I really didn't think I needed to get married. I just wanted to travel the world and, and speak and write. And so, you know, the church was not a great great place for me. It wasn't the safest of places because I was female and because I had a vagina. And so that was tough for a lot of people. And I, you know, was stuck in that cocoon of believing that that would hold me back. And I had to work through that. But in, in marriage, I would say the first thing was working through my bleeding. And I was always so ashamed of menstruation. I was like, what, this is the curse. And I really wanted to know if God hated me. I was like, Mm -hmm. why have you done this? Like I have these breasts that men objectify. I have this vagina that I I know of, you know, sexual harm. And I know people who, I mean, I I work with clients who have been raped. I've worked with just harm. So why the setup for the female is really, you know, patriarchy stress disorder, which is the patriarchal lens sets you up to have stress if you're not living up to a misogynistic or a patriarchal view. So objectification just really wrecks a woman. I mean, we have research out in New Zealand where it will say that women will die seven to 10 years earlier if they live in an objectifying society because our immune systems are so suppressed as we're trying to live into an image or the viewpoint. And so I I literally saw this as a a epidemic of trying Mm -hmm. to take women out. Mm-hmm. And I needed something to reclaim beauty and the beauty of the female body and the beauty of why God created the female in God's image as female. And especially in the church. I mean, and that's where I've, oh. I've seen that. That's when my eyes really became open to it. And, you know, so much of the posts that I wrote was like, oh, the church with cover your breasts. But yet here we have Mary that that's what gave Jesus life. And then the bleeding, right. like you have a whole chapter in your book talking about the bleeding that really spoke to me because why is that still an embarrassing topic? So that's such a profound, profound chapter. Should we, okay. There's so many places I can go to with you. I know. I'm like, do we jump into the bleeding? Do we talk about your story with brave, your first son? Where do you want to go with that? I'll let, I'll let you dare a little bit with that. Sure. So I think what I would say about the bleeding again, it does feel like a whole nother story. I'm, you know, in this moment, in this season, we're in Advent. And so mm-hmm. I, I stick with the Advent story in a sense, mm-hmm. because there's so much through major theology that we could talk about. But what I'll caveat with the bleeding is the bleeding is actually the running over of the gods. Like that's mm-hmm. what we look historically and actually can see. And the red tent is a place for sisterhood. And this ties into the Advent season. But women were not meant to engage their bodies alone, meaning they were supposed to grow up in a place where bleeding was normal, where on the weeks they were bleeding, they were all congregated together and their grandmothers were there and their aunties were there and their mothers were there and their siblings were there. 
and they were telling stories. Females were telling stories. So I, I think we've been so alone in our bleeding. And mm-hmm. to me, that's the biggest part of the curse. And I really encourage women, you know, I think nowadays, like my second and my first and second days of bleeding, I will stay up till 2am creating because mm-hmm. it's my loudest, most unadulterated in a sense voice. I get really honest when I get to my period week. And I am so grateful for her now. Like she speaks and I'm like, thank God she's here. Like I almost miss her the other three weeks of the month because that it's is, like, wow, that's, that's my, I got a long way to go before I can no. <laughs> meet you there, but. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. Uh, I just think that I, you know, I don't withhold as much in my conversations with my spouse. I don't withhold as much in my conversations with my kids. Right. right. I'm a much more unapologetic, honest woman. That's and true. I'm okay with that. I'm not mm-hmm. only, I'm not only okay with that. I am so thankful that God almost put that booster in me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to bring my most honest self, you know? And um, yeah. And I think it carries the story of the cross. I mean, it carries the story Absolutely. of birth. It carries right. the story of, of blood and shedding of blood. And I think women every month are walking around in their bodies, sharing the gospel and we're hiding it. I wrote several things down with your chapter in that view. You said, I'm filled with wonder and fascination when I imagine my bleeding to be a divine act ordained by God. And it's like, when have we ever actually thought of it that way? And you go back to Mary, it's like that blood was surrounding Jesus and it's the the blood that was birthed with him. I mean, it's very, very powerful when you think about it. Yes. And I mean, this actually sounds like the strangest thing. I've never said this on a podcast, but we actually did like the blood cord banks for my kids, like where you Mm -hmm. save um, that to do stem cell research, or if there's some illness they have, we can use their blood cord. There's something about that blood that's so precious. And then isn't it interesting that when we talk about Jesus and we talk about the blood of Jesus being shed, like, Mm -hmm. why aren't we more curious about the blood that is shed even at the manger. Like I, I, you know, I think about when I did that blood cord, they're coming and they're gathering all of that right at the pregnancy and they have to know the time and they ship it up and then they take it and it's time sensitive. And I'm just thinking like, we talk about that metaphorically with the cross and the blood and Christ's blood being so powerful, but I'm just like, wow, the manger scene is also that story. Like who was gathering the blood on the cloths of Jesus? And I mean, the manger scene was probably bloodier, really. I mean, you know, so much more than we want to talk about, right? Uh Like Uh we don't, we sterilize it so much. And I think we miss out on so much because of the sterilization. And again, that's where my beckoning to women don't sterilize your story. Don't sterilize your body because she is telling a story that we are all meant to be in awe of. Yeah. So going back to your story, when you talk about, you know, you had your, your first child brave being born a stillbirth and we're talking not like early on, like 41 weeks. And you knew when you were going in to deliver him, he was not going to be breathing. You had had notice of that. The story goes that I remember being late and waiting and my doctor had been out of town. And so she was like, we'll induce you next week. If mm-hmm. you want, this is your first, it's probably gonna be late. And I mean, healthy pregnancy, there was no reason to ever even think this would happen. 
And so I remember my grandmother telling me it gets really still before the baby comes because I had said to her on the phone, you know, he's not moving. And I wasn't in the, I, I wasn't in the wherewithal to know to kick count and like all that stuff. And it was really still. And she said, it gets really still right before he comes. Yeah. And I remember being like, okay, I'm fine. And I even had a dance party with my sister and my cousin that night, like trying to get him to, to yeah. just yeah. birth, start the birthing process. And, and he was still alive at that point. And then I was sitting on the couch with my cousin. It was like two in the morning. And I was like, oh, I'm so ready. We're going to induce in the morning. And I felt this like defibrillation of sorts. Mm -hmm. And I remember the moment and I wouldn't have known it then, but I was like, oh gosh, he's excited or something to come. And I went to bed and I woke up the next morning, my husband and I went in and when they were listening for a heartbeat, they couldn't find one. And they brought another doctor in. So I didn't know until mm. we were in the hospital that, that there was no heartbeat. And I didn't even believe them at first until mm. we went into the ultrasound room. And that was an eerie, eerie silence in that room. And we went straight to, we called, I called my pastor in the hospital room and I was just weeping and they were also expecting a child two weeks later. And, um, it, it's so interesting. Our community had my friend and I hadn't even known she was actually delivering her child at 23 weeks and she had lost her child, but I didn't even know. And it was happening in that moment. Our pastor knew he was like, come to our house. We drove straight to the house and, and they were just all there. And we just wept and fell into their arms. And we just prayed that he would live. I mean, we prayed that mm -hmm. there would be a miracle. Um, and there wasn't, yeah. there wasn't. I'm so, yeah. so sorry. I mean, I know this isn't the past, but the grief doesn't go away. Right. It's different, but I'm so sorry. This is part of your story. How did this change? Because I know you were very, you're very honest in your one book of brave lament about you're so mad at God and you felt betrayed. And did you feel like your womb, your sexuality, the feminine side, did you feel like right. you had betrayed yourself? Talk about that part of it. And then I yeah. want to pair after you do a parallel that a little bit to Mary, because you say in that very few women birth death and you did, mm -hmm. but I think Mary kind of did too. So right. that was a lot. I yeah. just threw at you, but I'm just, no, I, I love how you tie that. it in. Yeah. yeah. I love how you tie that in because it's true. I remember um, it was a really dark, dark season. It was already mm -hmm. a dark season in Seattle. It was already the shortest days. It was darkness all the time, but there was something about that kind of darkness. And I, and I, I birthed him and I remember being in the hospital when he came out and my, one of my, my best friends, she was my midwife and doula, and she was there in the hospital and she was holding him and the cord had been wrapped around so many times. And so I kept saying, I want to hold him. I, I remember praying, like, I'm going to coach him in my birth plan. I was going to coach him through my body. Like, I remember hearing a story of a woman who like coached her child, you know, what the baby probably cannot hear me, maybe, actually probably could, but I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And I remember telling brave, he could do it. And I remember, I mean, I was weeping. I'm on the birthing table and I'm weeping and I'm coaching him out of my body. And I know that he's dead and I know that he can't hear me, but I think I was coaching myself. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you do wonder if, if again, Mary's not going to know 
that she's going to be holding her child off of a cross in his broken body that she birthed. She doesn't know. But in that moment, I felt like God knew and God knew the whole story and God, mother, God, God had to become mother in that moment because only a mother God could coach me mm-hmm. to birth my child who was not living where that death was the end of the story mm-hmm. because I can't, I couldn't see further at that moment to resurrection. I couldn't see eternity yet, but I knew that it had to matter. And I think it probably mattered more to me to mother myself in that moment. And, you know, I don't know how we would have survived without our community. I mean, even the woman, uh, another dear friend, like it's amazing that the women that were around me, I think about the women that buried Jesus and they know what to do. And I'll, I'll get to that. But the women that were around me in birth, the midwives, the doulas, the friends, they held my child when I couldn't, you know, um, one of our pastors is female. She held my child. I mean, we held brave for 12 hours because we wanted people to see him. Mm -hmm. And I wanted time for my mom to fly in and see him. My dad flew in from Thailand. Like we wanted people to fly in, but his body was not well, you know, I mean, it's not easy to look at death very long. It will make you crazy. And I think those women who held my baby when I couldn't were the kindest, holiest hands of God. I mean, I met God in a way through death that I cannot explain. And I can't, I can't explain it. And yet I would tell women like when we turning our face is so hard. And I I did, I thought at one point I did have to turn my face. And I thought even God turned his face when Jesus was on the cross and it's okay if I need to turn my face and ask this woman to hold my baby until we give him back. And I mean, I tell the stories, but there are so many stories untold in my body that I have to keep telling because I think women know these stories. They know what it is, whether it's a real child or not, they know what it is to hope for something again and again. They know what it is to get to the point of even birthing it, birthing something, a relationship, a marriage, um, a, a pregnancy, and then death comes. Yeah. And we have to wrestle with what God's doing in that moment and what God is asking of us. Yeah. And I think mother God is asking us to mother ourselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's so many things so powerful. Cause I wrote that down that you said for your son died, you really didn't need God to be mother God. But then that is what, what came from, from that to me, a huge evolution with your faith, but also just the power of telling these stories as women, like what has happened with our bodies. Cause even as you know, I shared with you and I had four miscarriages, I don't think I've ever really started talking about it until the last couple of years, because that was 15 years ago. And I just feel like it was just like, oh, it just happened. It's just common. You just move on. And right. it's like the power of stories and women sharing these things about their bodies and their wounds and their birthing stories is so right so healing when we can do that. And that's why, again, I appreciate so much you sharing and you're a therapist. So you know, all know all that, but also finding that community of having those other, other women, it's also not lost on me. I mean, you had, you had him in December and we're in, in December right now with Mary having Jesus. Let's talk a little bit more about Mary and Mary's body and her womb and all of that, that you kind of, you talked a little bit at the beginning, but just her body being, being broken open and I also think about with her too, just her, that that story did not go as planned. 
you know, your story you just shared, that was not the plan. And Mary's story did not go as she planned. Like she was getting married, starting this family where she thought she would be living, but all of a sudden she's not pregnant by her husband. She's giving birth somewhere she did not plan. And then she's like on the run trying, it is a hope filled story, but it's also not, not the story Mary had planned. So I'm going to let you just talk into that, be a nerd and talk into this. What's on your, on your heart with this story in the season. Okay. Yes. I mean, uh, when you said us sharing our stories and so important, I honestly believe we are missing, I mean, nuggets of gold of salvation of the salvation story when we don't tell the stories of our loss and our, of our trying and of our hoping. And so I, I do, I look at women in this, you know, who've had to bury. And I think you are, you're the stories in the Bible that I want to hear that have not been told yet. And I love manger theology. So Nikki Giovanni is the first woman who has an, and womanist theology, which I wish I could claim myself to be a womanist theologian, but it, a womanist theology is a a theology from black women Mm -hmm. and I am not black. And so it would not be right for me to say that, but I have learned so much from this theology of how women's bodies tell us the story of God. Mm -hmm. And I just, I I love this. And so I have like submerged myself in this understanding, but Nikki Giovanni speaks about manger theology. And she says, why do we look to the cross with such detail, and we fail to look to the manger. And manger theology would be the study of God through the manger scene, which would put us into those nine months, 10 months of pregnancy for Mary, right? So we do tell these, like we, we do tell the Advent story, but to me, it was never taught in the same way the Easter story is, right? It was never taught to me like the Holy Week, where we go through each week. And yet, here we have this 10 months of invitation into this last trimester. So what I love to think about is Mary leaving, finding out she's pregnant. She is, has morning sickness. She's never done this before. She has a very young body. She's young and she doesn't know what is happening. And then she finds out that Elizabeth, her older cousin, who has been infertile, her, her entire life, who has prayed for a child and has never had one is old and way beyond the years of being pregnant. And now she's pregnant. So we have two women with a very unlikely stories. And I am, I'm just shocked. I'm like, what, where have those sermons been? Because I've been in church every Christmas and I have not heard this sermon. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping a lot of other, you have a lot of your listeners have, because I'm just broken hearted that no one's telling the story. You've got this woman who both angels are popping up everywhere. I'm loving this. I'm like, where are the angels? That would be amazing. Angel comes, says you're pregnant. You're holding the savior of the world and you're a virgin. And then angel comes over here to Elizabeth says, John the Baptist, you're going to have this child and, and you're so old and it's okay. And Zachariah comes in the room and says, there's no way you're pregnant and is muted. And says, you will be deaf and mute until that child is born. And then Mary jumps on a like basically gypsy traveling company. And she travels 93, 94 miles in her first trimester to see her cousin who is pregnant and old, basically, 
right? Like I, I always hate when I would go into the hospital and for a, you know, checkup and they'd be like geriatric pregnancy, basically. And you're like, geez, <laughs> Louise, like I'm not even 40, but it was just, I was mm-hmm. like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And yet I start to think about this unlikely couple, this really young girl who's pregnant, this really older woman who's pregnant. And then this husband who's just deaf and mute for three months while Mary lives there. And Mary is there to midwife. I mean, she's there to watch on the Baptist be born. Mm -hmm. So then think about that. You're seeing birth for the first time and you're thinking, oh God, no, (laughs) that's going to happen to me. Yeah. To my body before Mm -hmm. I ever get married, before I'm having sex before, Mm -hmm. like, I mean, Mm -hmm. just like all the craziness of that to me. And then the fact that, you know, you're going to fast forward the story and John the Baptist is going to be the one who initiates Jesus into, into his death into his story as savior of the world. So these two boys, but then these two women, why are we not studying this story? And I just think Advent is such a time of sisterhood. I think it's such a time of women coming together day in and day out and say, okay, how'd you feel this morning? How was last night's sleep? Oh, can you feel him kicking? Can you not? Should we call someone to check? Should we not? Do you, you know, in this day and age, I can remember people being like, okay, do you have a Doppler? Because I had lost my first child. You got to know I had a Doppler in my home for the rest of my pregnancies. Like you were just saying, women coming together. I've never until this year and actively seeking people, voices like yours, I've even heard that concept of the women, the ones speaking, the women coming together. I mean, this is some of the most powerful stuff of the Bible, if you ask me. And again, why we have not heard this, these are not the messages that we're hearing, not even just this month, but all throughout the year. Right, but, right, right, right. But especially this month. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Go on. I interrupted you, but I, lo- I love hearing you speak on this. No. So, so we've got Mary. She sees Elizabeth's body being torn open. She's very young. What are 12, 13, 14? We don't right. know for sure. Right. And then her, her body, she's getting bigger. She's getting stretch marks. She's who knows what she's going through. Right. Swollen, engorged. I mean, and again, I, I just think it's needed to be said. She's not a white woman. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And I, and I don't, it's like, I feel like everything I'm going to say, I have to be like, okay, I hope I'm not being he- heretical here, but, but men weren't supposed to be speaking. Women are supposed to be teaching this story. And so we haven't heard the story from the pulpit because we haven't given women the place mm-hmm. they need to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I know I just lost a lot of people in that, in that saying, but like, no, you said, I wanted you to, so- I'm so glad you just said that because when I was thinking about when I made that Instagram post, I so wanted to put in there. And also she's not, I wanted to put that in there. She's not why. Right. Y'all. But it right. just didn't seem to fit in the flow. So I'm like, I think that's such yeah. an important part of yeah. this. So thank yes. you for saying that. Yeah. Again, I think, you know, we as Christians really do have to stretch. Like, why do we need it to look like us when it didn't look like us at all? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's what I want to say. Like, why do we have to whitewash the gospel? Why don't we let the blood and the breaking and the dark skin be a part of the story? Mm-hmm. Because it mm-hmm. was the story. And the breast out and the bleaking breasts, all of it. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and and so I just, I'm seeing Mary and I'm seeing Elizabeth. I'm like, man, we are just, we're not listening to the story and women are not being allowed to, to tell the story or speak or, yeah. or they we're having to apologize for our bodies or having to apologize for our breasts being cracked and us trying to like hide them yeah. and breastfeed. And I just, am like, man, wow. The apologies for the gospel. Mm-hmm. We're actually keeping people, we're keeping people from the story. And I think 
think I'm going to be held accountable for that. You know, I'm going to be held accountable for what I'm hiding from people when I knew the truth and the truth was being told in our bodies. And Elizabeth and Mary's bodies were telling us the story of Advent that we cannot deny and we cannot understand except by looking at the female cycle of life and then death and then life again. Mm -hmm. And I think they're telling us that story in that moment. And you're right. Mary's pregnant and she's in her last trimester and she's hoping. And I, I can't even imagine what it was like at that day and age, but I'm scared. I'm like, how is this thing coming out of me? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, I'm just like, I don't know how this is going to go. Was particularly with a first child. I have no idea. And Mary has this first child and she's, you know, in a manger and she's next to animals, animals who have birthed and known to birth. And I think we don't even understand until we start to tell the story of birth and the story we understand of broken bodies and of bleeding and of milk ducts and lactation. And so I'm, I'm there with Mary for me and my story. It doesn't end that way. I birthed death. And I think in a sense, Mary was also being asked to birth death and it wouldn't be for her. For me, it was, it was hours later and days later that I had to bury my son and we dug his grave. We did not let the crane put the dirt on him at the gravesite. My husband stopped them and said, we can't, we're not going to let a machine. And our community dropped purple orchids down on his grave, down in this deep, deep hole. And I remember telling God, if this is the only day you let me play with my son in the dirt, I will be found playing And I feel like that's the invitation for women is where will you be found? What will you be doing? How will you bring your body to this invitation? Mm -hmm. And we buried him and we buried that dirt. And, you know, I think of Mary when Jesus's body came down off the cross and she's Mm -hmm. holding this body. You know, I tell my kids a lot. I say, you know, Mm -hmm. it's scaring me to death to watch you climb that because I made that body. So, you know, just recently too. So be really careful. And I... I think what Mary probably felt of like, you were the first body I made. You were the body that initiated me into motherhood. You were the body that initiated me into understanding sisterhood and community and understanding the message of salvation. And as you're talking about, you know, watching your own children and being like, be careful. And I think also of Mary and thinking like, okay, what the angel told me, I'm giving birth to the savior of the world. Okay. That look nothing like she probably thought in her mind, great, he's being rejected and spit on and he's doing, this is not what I envisioned. So again, mothers relating to this is not what I thought my child would be, whether they, you know, are going on a different path than you thought they would. So again, relating to Mary on that level, but then something else you said in your book, you said, what divine power did it take to let Jesus go into a human woman's womb and be birthed into a sinful world? And how we as mothers are doing that. I mean, we know this world, those of us that are giving, giving birth or mothers to children that we've adopted or gotten by some other means that we've become mothers to children in this world that is really hard and really messed up. And yet we're, we're partnering. We're one, we're one with God of still in this sinful world. We're knowing what's going to, what they're entering here, but we're, we're doing it and we're still creating. And maybe it's not even a child. Maybe it is like birthing like you said earlier, business or art or a book and not knowing how the world's going to receive it. So I think that's a really powerful part of the story too, of our wombs and creating. It's really true. What would you tell, I know we need to wrap up here, but 
it still continues to weigh on me of women that feel like I can't, I still can't relate to this because I, I am infertile. Like I have tried all my life and I have that with two of my most loved family members cannot be mothers through their wombs yeah. and other people I know. So I speak into that, just what you would tell those women that are like, I still can't, I don't relate to this because I can't experience this and I won't. Yeah. And in the same way, I cannot be a womanist theologian because I am not black. I cannot speak to an infertile woman because I have not known infertility. Mm-hmm. And so what I, what I would tell her is I want to know you I want to know what this has cost you. I want to know the story of your body. And I think it is telling a story. It's not lost on me that Hannah or Elizabeth, like that there are stories of women who, who don't, and I know in the end they get a child. And so that is maybe not fair, but really even in those stories, their child, their children are not their own. And they're, they're given to a bigger cause. They have to give them up in a sense to something else. And Mary has to give Jesus over to death. And so what I think is the infertile woman actually knows more about giving their child up to death than any of us mothers who have birthed a living child. And so she's going to know a story that I am silently grasping on every word because she knows a strength and an understanding that I have yet, I will never be invited to learn. Mm. Yeah, you're right. That's so powerful. Um, And I know as a therapist, I'm sure you see women that have have struggled with this or feeling less than, and that's what I just want to make sure the message to women is if they have struggled with infertility, this is not a message that you're less than because your womb has not been able to create. And then you also have people who don't want to create. You have women Mm -hmm. who don't want to have children. And so again, I don't think the story has to somehow not apply to them. I think because all of us, male and female, we come from mothers. And so it is an invitation if we just want to switch it back that we come from a mother God. We are created in the mother God's image. And therefore, we still have so much to learn through the concept of mothering. Even if we don't want to be mothers ourselves or cannot be mothers ourselves, there's still an invitation to know God as mother because we come from a mother and we will have to mother ourselves through our whole life. I have to mother myself, whether or not I had children, there were so many invitations in my life where I had to bury a dream, a relationship, Mm -hmm. something. And I needed mother God to teach me how to bury and then how to have hope enough to create again. Mm, That's that's powerful. Yes. Yeah. 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 And especially because as you say that I'm thinking of, which was another thought I had reading your book of all the women that don't know their mothers or have had bad relationships with their mothers or don't have that mother. Like you just said, mothering ourselves and seeing God as mother is so much yeah. part, part of that story. Um, okay. We have to wrap up. I could keep talking I know to it. you. I know it. We One thing I do want to say that we just so glanced over and it was in my notes because, but we could do a whole episode and you did do a whole episode on it. And I actually shared it with my girlfriends this morning on your podcast, the woman earring, woman earring, right? Yeah. Yes. Woman earring podcast, woman earring podcast. And we'll put links to that, but you had a whole episode on the red tent and that had me crying this morning too. That's why I said you, I I came here like just a emotional mess from listening to your, so that episode was so powerful. And I'm going to put a link to that because I just think when we go back again to talking about these stories, infertility, miscarriages, or, or, or happy, hope filled stories, like just hearing them from other women. And that's 
a big part of that red tent is like, you're not alone in the story and you don't, the shame thrives when we think we are alone, but when you know, or have those other women. So I'm going to link that up because that's a very big part of just, um, what you want to preach and teach to women about finding, finding other women and, and being in that red tent and knowing you're not alone. Yeah. And you'll, and these, Yes. Woman hearing, let me just say it will tie you to Red Tent Living, which is a great place for women to learn more about the Red Tent. And it's a community of women who are talking about that. So, um, and I would just say, I would love if you want, I would love to give away the Theology of the Womb. I did a video course on it and I would love to give away like three, two or three courses for women who are listening or something like that, because I would love to get this material in the hands of as many women as I can. I saw that and I will link that up and we definitely I'd love to do a giveaway and I might participate in it myself. So thank you for, oh, well, for offering let's, that. Let's just give those three away to people and I'll just send one to you. I mean, there's just no need to okay. be, I mean, it's the give, it's okay. the giving season. We got to give it away. Okay. Okay. Well, you just coming on and being my guest was enough of a gift to me. And I am going to check out also the red tent because that's been something on my heart creating for women, especially yes. in this season of we all, uh-huh. I think, feel really alone, like with yes. so many leaving the church and COVID. Yes. And it's like, I know what I feel in my own heart and soul and you moving. I mean, you're going to be feeling that as oh. well. So yes. um, I'm really excited to check more of that out. So we're going to put okay. links to all of these things. I'm also going to put a link to that Nikki Giovanni episode, because I listened oh. to that when you talked about it in your book, I listened yes. to that this week yes. and I love her. And um, oh so that's a powerful episode. So yes. the, the show notes in this episode, we're gonna have lots of links, everybody, and oh. make sure to check those out and tell me, tell us where else you can be found. And we'll still link everything up, but just so people know, on sure. social media, all of that, where you can be found. Yeah. So Instagram, it's, you can follow me at womaneering. That's where my work is and it's, or womaneering.com. And then it also double links to my christybauman.com. Okay. So either my name or womaneering, which is like kind of the work or the research that I'm, I'm pulling out of women's health. And you have a website with all of your information on therapy practice you yeah. also have some great freebies on your website. Like cool. it's, it's really amazing. Like I'm like, how did I not know her before? It's but you okay. Some, no, it's you good. have some really cool worksheets just like on your sexuality history, your body yes. history, like the story, yes. the stories through our bodies and some are free. Yes. Some cost just a very little bit, but I, yeah. I will put links to all of that stuff too. Yes. So. That's a great thing. And then my husband and I run Christian counseling center for sexual health and trauma. And so it's christiancc.org. That mm-hmm. also has a lot of links of our work and, Um, My husband specializes with men who struggle with pornography or unwanted sexual behavior. And so we have a lot of resources. Yes. And we try to just resource people out. We want to just help. Christy, I I won't keep talking at you. I just want to thank you so, so much for being here today. It's a busy, busy season in your life. I know, especially is right now. So thank you. Thank you.